Good morning. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Before we kick off the show, I hope everyone is staying safe, staying healthy, being smart. You know, stay home. I know you go stir crazy. I do too. There's lots of things you can do at home. And, you know, sometimes all that togetherness does make you crazy. So try to find a little time for yourself to kind of recharge, do something. Sometimes moments like these are just for, for you to connect with your family, connect with yourself. Anyway, be well, stay safe. Uh, I know these are challenging times. Um, the hardest, though, are the caregivers and everyone trying to, you know, handle all the issues associated with COVID-19. So uh, my heart goes out to all the teachers and the nurses and doctors and everybody in the front lines. So keep that in mind as well. All right. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, Brandy Ferner. Hi, Brandy. Hello. Thank you for having me here. Well, thanks for taking the time. I know we're all in self-quarantine and I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm going a little crazy. Yeah, that's, that's putting it nicely. I putting think. it nicely, right? I know a lot of people talk about how, you know, all this family bonding time, but um, it, it can be very stressful. Obviously, I ha- I'm putting it in perspective lately, Brandy, because I look at what's going on in the front lines with the nurses and the doctors, and oh my gosh, we're all really fortunate to be where we are, and hopefully everybody's staying healthy. Yes. Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, you look around and you, you think about all these heroes that are unsung and that we've maybe overlooked before, like the grocery store workers and nurses and teachers and all these people who fight for equal rights and, you know, to be paid a fair wage. And, man, they are shining right now. And I think it's great that on one hand that this has illuminated how necessary these people are and how much respect and, uh, and fair pay we should be giving them. Oh, I know. And even um, teachers, they had a very short learning curve to distance learning. I mean, holy smokes! Yes, unbelievable. And you know, and you know, I have a, I have a friend, a really close friend who's a teacher, and she, she is saying like this is not actually possible. And so, one of the things that I think is happening right now is we're all putting on this face like we can do it. Let's not change anything. You know, teachers obviously they want to keep their jobs, so they're like, well, I'll do what I need to. And parents, same way, we want to keep the machine going and keep our kids still learning, so that doesn't screw up. But the reality is, it's too much. It's yeah. too much for everyone. It's too much for teachers. Yeah. It's too much for parents. Yeah. And I don't I think as a society we know how to say no or slow down. And so everybody is just getting put through the grinder right now. I agree. Like. And I know my kids are feeling it. I feel like the workload has mm-hmm. been increased and... Um, you know, distance learning is a whole other science. So, you know, sometimes people have to really understand there's a method to everything. And I know that, like I said, my props go out to the teachers for having to do this, but there was no time to say, is this too much? Are we going too fast? You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. This was, yeah, this was, this was basically non-consensual for all of us. Yeah. Nobody, these are things, these are choices that people made in their lives to not homeschool. Um, you know, to not be at home with their kids and to have jobs. And I mean, everybody's choices are getting thrown up in the air. And I think we're really good at putting on a brave face and doing what needs to be done. And I don't know the answer, but I also feel like it might just be a good time to really say what's true for us and to say, I don't want to do this. Like, for example, my, my daughter's first grade teacher is wonderful. And she sent some work that said, you know, for some people who need extra help reading, I'm going to give you these extra assignments. 
like that. Already Good. Enough. Yeah. You know, like, why would I add? I'm, we're already a day behind most of the time, and th- we're just not doing it. And she was so sweet and replied and was like, you do whatever, you know, whatever you can, no pressure. But I feel like we all need to be saying no right now, and yet everybody's in a financial crunch. Yeah. They don't want to lose their job. Right. Right. Um, and one note for the kids, too, because um, it was interesting. There was an article a while back, I think it was in Time Magazine, about how um, the younger generation, let's say the millennials, um, they are able to say at work, you know, I need a mental health day. And the other day, uh, my daughter woke up really stressed, and she's like, you know what? I'm too overwhelmed. I, I need a break. I said, and we agreed, take the day off. And I wrote into the school. I'm I'm sorry. Well, I didn't say I'm sorry. I didn't apologize. But she needs she needs to take the day off, and here's why. And they were so understanding. And I think more more people need to do that because you there are signs of, you know, where people are so overwhelmed and stressed and anxious, especially the kids. Oh, yes. And I also think if you look at moms as well or parents, even though I see moms doing the bulk of all of this schooling work, is everybody has different situations. So for me, I have been a stay-at-home, work-at-home mom for the past 13 years. And I just this year got my daughter in full-day school. So both of my kids now, I also have a 13-year-old mm-hmm. and a 6-year-old, are, are in full-day school. So I've been an at-home caretaker while also trying to work for 13 years. Oh, my gosh. So, so yeah. I, I have – so I'm just, like, defrosting from that is, is I think, the right word. Yes. From, and finally having some autonomy and my own identity. And so then to have that stuff back right. is um, – like traumatic maybe is too much of a, of a too big of a word, but everybody's on their own level. So then there's moms who've never gotten that before, who this is just piling on even more for moms who are almost at their breaking point. And so right. I, I just, again, I go back to the idea that this, this is too much for everybody right now. Yeah, I agree. So what are you doing to take care of yourself? Do you have advice for other people um, when you feel like you're at that breaking point? Yeah, so it's like, I think like everybody, it's this daily roller coaster of a really joyous moment and followed by a really low moment. But one of the things that I'm pretty good about, I have to say, is um, setting boundaries and also requiring that my husband, who's a great guy, is helping me and helping our household equally. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when all this went down, the conversation I had with him was, okay, all of this weight of this pandemic is not going to fall on my shoulders just because I'm the mom and the woman. Yeah. So we need to come up with a schedule that is equal so that both of us are, are shouldering this. So, for example, he gets up with the kids and does breakfast, and then I take over around 8.30, and then I am with the kids and doing school stuff and make them lunch, and that's until about 1.00. And then at one, we switch off. And then I get to be the person that goes upstairs and doesn't have distractions and can work like a normal human being. Mm-hmm. And then he's the one who has to juggle and do school. And, and then we come back, and so he does that until about 5 or 5.30. And then we come back and we figure out dinner together because I also said I'm not going to also be the one to deal plan and then cook the meals. So I'm just knowing that for me to get through this without resentment and and get through this the best I can, I need to have equal help, and I'm comfortable asking for it, and I'm lucky enough to have a husband who's, like, right there willing to do that. I think that's fantastic. You know, there's a big lesson in that. You know, speak up, 
set boundaries and and delegate who's going to do what and you know and as your kids get older who's going to help out and who's going to do what to, to you know make the ship sail as a team exactly and it's hard and, and right now is a time where i think people are really like we're really getting some clarity around broken relationships and maybe broken coping mechanisms so i think people who are avoiders by nature distractors by nature people who are people pleasers I think right now is incredibly uncomfortable for them in an entirely different way because they're being asked to step out of their personality trait and be something else if they want to set these kind of boundaries. So I think it can also add to the stress of all of this because a lot of people don't even have the bandwidth at the end of the day to sit down and have that conversation with their partner about making it equal, nor do maybe they have the skills of how to do that if they've never set boundaries before. So I think there's lots of opportunity for growth and also frustration during this time. Yes. So let's get to your book because you wrote this, yeah. this, you wrote this book. Um, you're also a podcast host. I want, let's get into the book yeah. first. Tell me about how you wrote this book. Okay. So what's really interesting about this is I think I inadvertently wrote the perfect pandemic read for moms. And I didn't, of course, know that this was coming. Right. But what I, but what is interesting about it is, is the book basically, like the short version of it is, it's called Adult Conversation, a novel, and it's a darkly comedic book about the relentlessness of modern motherhood, wherein the main character seeks to answer the question, is motherhood broken or am I? Mm. And so after a series of mom wins and failures, she and her therapist end up on a Selma and Lee-style road trip to Vegas, where they're tempted and tested while finding lost pieces of themselves that motherhood swallowed up. So it's like the yeah. first half of the book is a total validation and comedically done about what it's like to be constant caretaker to kids and to try to juggle all the things and to find your value when you don't make money and all the complicated and tangled pieces of marriage and career and all of these things. So that's kind of like the first half. But then the second half takes them on this wild road trip that we all wish we could go on right now. Right. Just heading away from it all. So it's like, I don't need to do it. I didn't know this was going to happen. But the first book, I feel like, is medicinal for people right now who want to laugh at but also really get into, like, what am I feeling right now in this role of being constant caretaker? And then what does it look like when everybody gets to get out and drive away from the madness, which we're all day dreaming about? Yeah. Uh, so I it, think the timing's pretty great. I was going to say it's as, it's you know it's filled with humor and self discovery and it's it is pretty great. It's amazing. Um, and so this is your debut novel. Yes, this is my debut novel. I've been working on it for a while, and you know I've written for Huff Post and Romper and Cafe Mom, and I've been some of my viral posts and articles have been on Good Morning America, and actually my book was just mentioned in the New York Times in an article Yay. about publication. Okay. So the things the things that I'm talking about, my podcast is real talk about motherhood, and I really do like to tackle the things that nobody is talking about. And I have a pretty progressive viewpoint about motherhood and some of the sacrifices and challenges that are specific to modern motherhood. So I feel like I'm I'm you know I'm striking a chord with people, and I I hope to continue to do that. But it's really this, this never came from a place. This book didn't come from a place of I would like to be an author someday. Mm -hmm. What happened is I, as a mom of the then two-year-old and eight-year-old, found myself with this idea of what 
you can't help um, when something comes to you and it nags at you and you can't sleep and that's all you think about you have to do it you have to I mean it's funny because it's almost like did I even have a choice in that no there was no putting it down no in a way again I feel like there's so much about motherhood that is non-consensual once you're in it and then it's just a little bit ironic that also writing the book about motherhood being non-consensual is also non-consensual right a little meta on it right (laughs) so what else would you like people to know about the book we need right about now so (laughs) perfect (laughs) yep um can you give out your website and people can find out more about you and the book Fantastic. And I love that your love language is sleep. I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
All right, right now we're going to chat with Alicia Doyle. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Janine. How are you? Fantastic. Well, I'm glad to make this happen. My husband happened to put this article in front of me, and I, he said, this would, she would be a great guest, and I'm so glad you had the time to do this. Well, I appreciate it. It's a huge honor for me, and especially uh, during this time of social um, isolation, it's nice to chat with another human being. Yes, and not feel so <laughs> isolated. I know. How are you handling all this? What are you doing right now to take care of your mental and physical health? I am trying to stay uh, as busy as much, much as possible. Uh, Ventura is under some pretty strict rules right now. They closed our beaches and our parks uh, the other day. Um, so a lot of folks, you know, we're, we're outdoorsy people, so we, we don't have that outlet anymore. So we're just all trying to adjust together as a community. Um, but, um, it's an interesting time. It sure is. To say the, yeah, to say the least. And I guess I'm comforted knowing we're all in this together on some level. Right. I, you know, that's really also why I reached out to you now, because I thought, you know, here's somebody who's gone through a lot and then you found, uh, boxing. What was it? You were 28? I was. I was 28 uh, when I discovered the sport, and I am I'm a journalist by trade, so I was working as a newspaper journalist when I got a call to go out on assignment uh, for a boxing gym for at-risk youth. So that's how I discovered it, and this was back in the 1990s. So here you were, an award-winning journalist, and you go on this assignment. Were you just captivated by what you saw? I love that question, and I, a full disclosure, I have to be honest, I... Never liked boxing. Before this assignment fell into my lap, I, mm -hmm. I thought it was the dark side. Um, I didn't want to have anything to do with the sport. So when I was in the newsroom and I got this phone call, um, it was a community activist. Uh, she was uh, seeking coverage for this boxing gym for at-risk youth that was destroyed as a result of the El Nino rains. Um, I don't remember the rains in 1990s. They destroyed quite a bit. Okay, yes. So um, because this gym served at-risk youth, it pulled up my heart a little bit, and I thought I might as well check this out. So I went on this assignment reluctantly, and as soon as I met uh, the owner of the gym and his family, I, I, I fell in love with them, first of all, because of their hearts and what they're doing for these kids. But then I started to delve in deeper and discovered what boxing did for these kids. You know, these are troubled kids. Uh, some of them were in gangs. Some of them were under house arrest. You know, they could only do certain things. But there was something about boxing that really helped their self-esteem. Mm -hmm. It was a clean and sober environment. Um, it improved their lives. So why isn't this a movie? <laughs> <laughs> I love that you asked that. I do. I have some interest um, in it right now. I am in communication with the director-producers that I'm hoping to move forward. Um, super excited about it. Um, when I was competing and I retired from the sport in 2000, I was approached uh, the first time mm -hmm. um, about about it being turned into a film. I, I wasn't ready back then. Um, I was still too close to it. Uh, not a word was written okay. in terms of the novel. So, yeah, it, it took me 20 years to write this novel. Um, but I'm very pleased with how it turned out. Did you also write the script? I have not written the script yet, but I wrote the novel in such a way that it could be easily translated into the script. Um, I worked very hard on the dialogue, um, which is very true to form. I journaled the entire time I was boxing, so ah. I have these wonderful quotes verbatim from a lot of my coaches and mentors in the sport. Um, and that's why the novel turned out as well as it did was because I was able to capture these real-life things that occurred. Um, it is nonfiction, okay. so it is based on a true story. Yeah. I love that. I, I took the screenwriting program at UC Irvine, and I could just envision the two arcs, you know, a kid mm -hmm. that you, you know that, that's involved in boxing, and then you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of beautiful layers to the novel, and it's simply because I was I was given a multi-layered experience. Um, of course, mm-hmm. the book is you know talks about my fights. I remember every fight like it was yesterday, so the reader does get you know a play-by-play of every round with dialogue um, in between rounds when I'm in the corner, so the reader gets to see you know what happens in a fight, what mm-hmm. happens in the corner, my thought process during the fight. Um, so, so that was really fun to, to play out. I want to mention you won two Golden Gloves uh, championship titles and earned three wins by knockout. Whoa. Yes. Yes, I, I was fortunate. I did very well. Um, I'm very grateful that I did. Um, I was only about uh, among about 400 women in America who were boxing at the time, and that was the significance of it. Um, girl fighters were a big commodity back then, but at the same time we were fighting um, to reverse the stigma surrounding women's boxing. Uh, back then, we were largely regarded as a joke. People called us the, the freak show. Uh, we were really? Terrible. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, you know, here we were, these athletes in this male-dominated sport, fighting for our rights just to be viewed as athletes and not as women. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a huge challenge. But, but um, once I got there and once I earned the respect from these men, it was a really fantastic experience. Do, are there certain role models you had in the boxing world as far as women? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and, of course, they're in the book, these amazing women. Um, i got to give a shout-out to a woman who's still boxing now. She's an eight-time world champion now. Her name is Layla McCarter. Um, wow. uh, so when I was boxing, I was almost 30 years old. So a lot of the girls I was competing against, uh, some of them were teenagers. And <laughs> Layla McCarter was a, t- was a teenager. Amazing. First time I stepped into the ring with her. Um, and the sportsmanship level of this young woman was astounding, and it was something I carried into every fight I had subsequently uh, because she's wise beyond her years. Um, but she's in three chapters of the book because she had such an impact on me. I, I stepped in the ring with her twice, and then after that she ended up working my corner in a subsequent fight. So and we had a longstanding relationship. And I, I got to point out that when I was competing, that women were not allowed to box in the Olympics. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I did not know that either until I approached my coach and said, Hey, coach, I want to box in the Olympics. And he said, uh, women are not allowed to box in the Olympics now, which I remember being really surprised by that, thinking the times that were in. Um, women were allowed to box in the Olympics in 2012, which was not that long ago. And I believe myself, all my amazing competitors, and all the women that, who boxed before us, we paved the way for women to box in the Olympics now. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How does that feel? Yeah. Um, it's, it's remarkable. I, you know, it's a, it's a shared collective effort, literally through blood, blood sweat, and tears. Yeah. Literally. That we all, we all were part of this amazing thing. And, um, and it, you know, it, it changes you. The, the sport, you know, it's incredibly dangerous, but it's also largely st- strategic. It's mental. And for me, it changed me from the inside out. It, it became my salvation. Because at the time, before you discovered boxing, what were you doing as an outlet to take care of yourself? Uh, when I was competing? Or, no, uh, before you discovered boxing, was there something you were doing athletically? That's a great question. I, um, I was doing something called Taibo. Oh, yeah. And that was pretty, pretty popular, Billy Blanks, mm-hmm. where I used to live. Um, his studio was right down the street, so I used to take that quite a bit. It was a fantastic workout. Um, so I was in pretty good cardio shape. But boxing is uh, a thousand times harder, naturally. Oh, yeah. But what got me into the boxing gym to actually take a class was um, I had reported on Kids Loves Boxing for about a year before I ever stepped in to take a class. And the owner of the gym was encouraging me for a long time to come take his class. I never took him up on it. 
um, what got me into the gym that day was I went through a pretty volatile breakup. And, and this is all in the book where okay. the boy I was with, he hit me more than once <gasps> oh. in the face. Um, yeah, naturally, I was quite upset about that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, that's a lot of women's story. Yes. So when I, um, I was so bloody angry that all I wanted to do was hit something. Yes. I, I can't even explain. I just, I just wanted to punch something over and over again. Sure. So I went to, to, to kick gloves boxing to take Robert's boxing aerobics class. And um, after I hit that heavy bag for an hour in his class, I felt better. Good. Amazing. And there was something about it, right? Yeah. yeah so I, I went back to war, and before I knew it, I was taking two to three classes back-to-back, um, five days, six days a week. I mean, it was that intense. And then um, I started training solo uh, by myself in the boxing gym, you know, watching the other boxers, mimicking their moves. And then soon enough, coaches from other gyms started to notice my training because I, I trained pretty hard, and I stood out being a female. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got involved, was um, a coach, uh, Stan Ward. He is certainly in the book. Um, he's the one I partnered with first for my first amateur fight, uh, but he's the one that really got me into it. And from that point on, I had um, some incredible coaches and trainers and mentors, and I was very fortunate that I aligned with these men who um, did not objectify me in any way. Great. They viewed me as an athlete. I, I gotta give a props to them for that because I I really lucked out. I feel like you're a great role model for any girls playing any sport at any level for what you went through. Does does your ex by any chance know you became a boxer? Uh, <laughs> I am pretty certain he knows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, because when I received some very nice press, I've been very fortunate and very grateful for that. Um, yeah. You know, if he's been online, I'm sure he's seen it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I have wondered that, too. That's a great question. Um, but I'll tell you this. I will never be a, a victim of domestic violence ever again. You bet. <laughs> you bet. Wow. You turned something negative into a huge positive. I did, and um, i got to give that up to, to a higher power because I look back at how everything unfolded and what I needed at the time and, and, you know, the things that I, you know, the, the low self-esteem I was suffering, you know, that really was the foundation of why I was in that abusive relationship to begin with. Mm-hmm. I had to really take a hard look at myself, you know, what was my role in that? Why would I accept that? You know, and transcend all of those things. And, and I appreciate that you view me as a positive role model. I, oh, yeah. I think that's wonderful, but I, I got it. I can't really take credit for that. I got to give that up to something higher that led me to this sport um, it was completely serendipitous. So you're basically saying um, the sport chose you, you didn't choose it. I believe it chose me. Yeah, I get um, that. I believe I needed something and, and that I was suffering inside and, you know, from, for about, you know, over things that I never told anyone about. Um, and that was a struggle in writing the novel because I put it all out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to be vulnerable. I had to be honest with my readers because readers are going to know. I don't sugarcoat anything in that novel, but I think that's why it's, it's hitting home with people. It's because I'm so honest and because I'm vulnerable and, you know, talking about forgiveness and having to forgive things and experiences from my past, but also had to forgive myself. Yeah. First and foremost, forgive myself and accept the things that I, you know, that I had taken on and, and just how to get through them. Like my big saying is the only way out is through. Yes, definitely. Well, I feel like, you know, sometimes you go through something really awful to get to the good stuff. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, you had to go through some really, really hard, dark times, but it brought you to this very moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and because of that, I used to not like the dark side of myself. I call it my shadow side, my dark mm-hmm. side. I 
tried to push that side away. I didn't want to address it. I certainly didn't want to talk about it. I certainly didn't want anybody to know that side of me. Um, but I realized by not embracing it and looking at it, and again, the only way out is through, by not going through that process, I was denying a huge part of myself. I was not loving myself. Yeah. I believe we need to love ourselves completely and fully, and that includes loving our shadow side. Yeah. That's a big piece of it. Um, I believe that scars make us who we are, and without these scars, we wouldn't exist. Oh, yes. So all those painful things that I used to hate about myself that I wish didn't happen, now I'm so grateful that they did because they did bring me to this point that I, um, I am at now. Mm -hmm. I, I did come to a certain level of enlightenment. Um, I'm still working on that. I'm still, I'm still learning. Um, I'm not going to say all my issues and everything that I dealt with. That, you know, they're gone and I'm cured. That would be a lie. It's not true. <laughs> right. I, I am still I get triggered it. from time to time. But right. again, the only way out is through. And now I'm able to just cope better and look at it head on and embrace the, sh the shadow side and the darkness and love that part of myself. And when I do that, I can transcend and get to the other side. But, it, but it's, it's a day-to-day -day thing. Sure it is. Yeah. Somebody once said, and I love this, write from your scars, not from your wounds, because those are the lessons. That's the, those are the learning moments when you when you've mm -hmm. been able to do that. And I feel like that's what you've done. Thank you for uh, for recognizing that. Yes, um, and um, yeah, and it only took two decades. <laughs> 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 it only took me two decades to write the book. Yeah, um, that's okay. Because um, you know the initial drafts, the earlier drafts, um, they were they were very angry. Mm -hmm. And very and very unforgiving, and and I thought I can't put this into the world. I can't do this. Yeah. I can't do this to myself, and I can't do this to the world. Sure. I, I had to to look at my experience as something beautiful, and I and, and express it in a beautiful way, so that it, so that it reaches people on a positive level. Definitely. But at the same time, being very real. So we're going to have to wrap soon. But where can people find find you? Uh, their social media or a website? So AliciaDoyle.com is my website. Fighting Chance is sold on uh, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. It's being sold uh, globally, okay. so you can find it online. Um, people can certainly find more information about me on my website at aliciadoyle.com. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram Disaster Diva Boxers because my boxing name was Disaster Diva. Okay. <laughs> so um, yeah, pretty easy to find. Excellent. Thank you so much for calling in. I've really enjoyed chatting with you, and uh, congratulations on your book. Sometimes it takes a long time for something to come to fruition, but it's even better when you wait. Absolutely. Yes, all good things come uh, to those who wait. Is that the saying? <laughs> yes, it is. You got it. You nailed it. Uh, thank you, Janine. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Today, I'm in conversation with Natanya Stambouli, owner and operator of Soul Play Yoga. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, Janine. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. How are you? You know, I, I can say, oh, I'm fab. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. You know, this quarantine, I'm going a little stir crazy. Yeah, I hear you. Me too. I'm trying to keep busy. I have to say, though, you're really inspiring. I From time to time, I'll see, you know, you're online. I want to back up. Tell me how you got involved with yoga. Oh, gosh. I got involved with yoga in 2009 by accident, actually. I was late to a cardio kickboxing class, and I Whoa. stumbled into an advanced yoga class not knowing what I was getting into. And within 10 minutes, I said, what is this magic? I was <laughs> sweating, barely moving, but felt incredibly 
incredibly calm and peaceful at the end of that hour and just kept going back for more. And after a few years, I decided to become certified, and um, that led me to completely change my life and, uh, and teach yoga for a living. It's amazing. But, uh, the beginning was a complete accident. You know, I actually had somebody on my uh, show, Jake uh, Free, and he was telling me how he thought that, you know, he was in great shape, and then he started yoga, and it kicked his butt. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I had a similar experience. Um, so in a time like this, you know, everybody is typically, we're home. Um, do you feel like, because I can imagine the answer is yes, that yoga is really keeping you sane? Yes, <laughs> Absolute yes. It's it's a practice about non-attachment and about acceptance of circumstances. And uh, acceptance doesn't have to mean happiness with circumstances, but accepting what is without trying to wish for it to be different. And I think a lot of us struggle, myself included, when we uh, we get caught up in this is how things are now, and and we make the we make mountains out of molehills, so to speak. And if we're able to stay in the moment and say, okay, what? agency do I have over how I feel right now mm-hmm. in this moment and then in this moment it becomes a lot more manageable and yoga gives us tools to to really uh, be able to sit and be without judging without wanting things to be different and see moment to moment yeah. what control over myself do I have and how can I breathe deeply and feel okay right now so it's, it's a really powerful practice for these times and for all times, but really, uh, especially now, where uh, it's all—it's up to all of us to look at how we are in the world, what energy we're putting out. Um, yes, asking us to be mindful. Yeah, I feel like it also teaches you to be kind to yourself and be—and definitely, as you said, be present. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Self-compassion is is huge too. As we we expect so much of ourselves, and we're. The culture that got us in trouble in the first place is the go-go-go culture where it's not okay to just take a pause. And so mm-hmm. finding compassion now, if those of us who, for whom taking a pause is challenging, you know, having compassion for yourself and, and in any any situation, kindness towards self and others Definitely. are big lessons to be learned. I was reading a great post somebody wrote like, now is not the time that you have to, you know, put these huge goals on yourself and you've got to learn a whole language and you've got to get all these things done. How about just breathing and just, you know, staying in the moment and not maybe taking a nap? I mean, you know, just keep it simple. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we feel we have to go, go, go. What am I going to do now? And what mm-hmm. next? And what now? And, and it just is still, I hate to say it, but still kind of new. And so, yes. you know, we may be here for a little while. Right. So, you know, slow down and take the time to regroup and to, to relearn how to be with yourself and with your family and with your loved ones. And and, uh, and it's kind of challenging because we're, we're pushed deeper and deeper into isolation in a way and into our electronic devices. And so for me, it's been an interesting balance, learning to be present and to just slow down without turning my nose deeper into my thoughts. Right. No, I hear you. Uh, I um yeah. I've been taking long walks in the morning. I walk for about an hour because I'm used to working out every morning early, and it's interesting because not everybody will make eye contact or say hello. So I I started this thing where I'll look at somebody, you know, and hi and smile, and usually I get you know a nice reaction. Sometimes people just they just keep their head down and they keep going with their masks on, you know. It's 
It's very interesting, but most people want to have some kind of connection. Yeah, that's so interesting. It really just shows you, I think, how we approach life. You know, those of us who look up and who look out and who look at how we can connect and how we can help others mm -hmm. might be, and I'm totally drawing a parallel that may not exist here, but just flow with me. Okay. <laughs> um, those of us who look up and out uh, are the ones who... Uh, who are making eye contact and who are wanting that connection, and then those of us who, who are in our masks are more concerned with, with survival and with self and with protecting rather than looking out and supporting others. And uh, and it's, you know, I, I dare draw that parallel because I bet if we, if we trace back to how people are in their lives and how they're feeling right now, I bet we'd find it there. So my encouragement to everybody listening is, is look up and ask how you can support even your neighbors You know, put a sign up in your entrance, and there's so many ways to, to connect and to keep this sense of, of holding each other up without actually being able to, to connect. Yes. So before you were um, involved in, because you're the owner and operator of Soul, Soul Play Yoga, before you were doing that, I loved your story. I posted it on my um, show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. You spent 10 years as a marketing director in the wholesale industry dreaming about the day you would actually love your job and do something meaningful. What were you doing? I was a marketing director for a wholesale uh, consumer goods company. So I was in a warehouse in an office with no windows, and I worked on, I sold products to people who would resell them and really had very little in the way of, of relationships that I felt were making a difference in people's lives. And mm -hmm. it was, I was in that job for a very variety of reasons, but leaving it was challenging. I wasn't a U.S. citizen at that time, so I was limited in my options. And so, uh, so yeah, 10 years, I woke up going, what am I doing? What is this? I don't have a purpose. Like, right. What am I? I'm selling things to people I don't know and I'll never meet that I don't, and selling things that I don't care about. It's just, there had to, something had to give. And, um, Yeah, and so, then yoga happened. And you were also in a toxic relationship, which obviously doesn't help. Yeah. So how did you finally get out of that, those t challenging times, and push through? You know, that internal storm really, really came to a head when I started, uh, when I trained to become a yoga teacher. So it's a four-month training program, usually 200 hours is the certification process. And about, about two or three weeks in, we were given an opportunity to to learn how to meditate by chanting a mantra. So if you know me, that's like eye roll territory for me. Chanting a mantra, I'm like, mm, no, thank you. <laughs> I was like, I'm learning to be a yoga teacher. I need to actually be open to this kind of stuff. But at the time, it was a little too woo-woo for me. Mm -hmm. And um, and we, we were given a series of mantras to choose, and I chose one that, that meant something to me at the time, lead me from the darkness to the light, from the unreal to the real. And so okay. I... Um, I worked with that mantra and I chanted it. They taught it to us in Sanskrit, in the language of yoga, and they just said, repeat it as many times a day as you can and sit and have these little meditations or just repeat it as you're moving about your day. Oh. And I don't know what happened, but 10 days into chanting this mantra, I felt this surge of agency and personal power, like I had stepped into a place of being aligned with what I was supposed to be doing in the world and I didn't care anymore. The wow. fear was gone. I was like, I'm going to quit the job doesn't matter that I don't have uh, a plan B yet and that I don't have any yoga teaching gigs, but I'm just going to give my notice. And I had just moved in uh, with the toxic relationship guy, mm -hmm. and we had signed a two-year lease together. And four, four weeks into that, I packed my stuff and left. 
Nice. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do, but there was no question. I, something got unlocked in me, and I was like, you know what? That woo-woo stuff, I'm a yeah. believer now. <laughs> surrender, surrender, and, and, you know, if it works, it works. If not, then not. But right. it really, something got unlocked in me, and within three months, I had a full uh, a full schedule teaching yoga and was supporting myself from that um, very quickly. So it was really just listening to, to some some spirit that was bigger than me. Yeah. I, I, it's amazing because it's like it gave you this inner strength to know what the next right step would be, or at least to take some kind of step out of the situation. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. It. I was stuck for so, so very long. And, uh, yeah, it was a beautiful moment. that I, I, I cried that day. I just literally sat on my couch and wept because it was like, finally, I feel like I'm, I have, I know why I'm here, at least for now. Amazing. And, Oh, yeah, that's cool. And then when did you start Soul Tribe Adventures? I started it in 2016. Um, I want, I've always wanted to, to travel more than I had time to. Um, and I was invited to teach yoga on someone else's wellness retreat. And I went as the yoga instructor. And I was like, holy cow, I can do this. This is amazing. I want to do this. Yes. So I created my own retreat six months later. And it was a huge success. And I had a lot of people come back to the second one. And from there, it just spiraled every six months. I did a retreat, and then every three months, and then every other month. And I love it. 18, I met my, yeah, it was super cool. I met my current partner, and uh, he came on as, as uh, co, uh, co-CEO, co if you will, and we're, we're doing that together now. That's fantastic. And tell me some of the places where these adventures are. Oh, gosh. Um, Mexico, we go every year. We've done uh, Portugal, Thailand, Bali, uh, Costa Rica, Spain, mm. and uh, yeah, I want to go back to Thailand. I have so many places I want to go back to and then I new know. places to explore. I know. Everybody's making their list as soon as this is over, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have all levels of people that go on these retreats or that you teach to? Yes. The requirement is to be a human being interested in personal growth, play, and connection. That oh, is that's the requirement. Good. So we, we do a lot of, like, theater games and, like, icebreakers and things that bring us back to being kids and connecting in, in ways that we don't anymore with each other. Oh, I love that. And then the movement, yeah, it's so fun. And then the movement practices are, are for all levels. So you can always, you know, we teach to all levels, but you can always do as much or as little as you want. And then we have an adventure component where we go, like, canyoning or ziplining or, or hiking up to the top of a volcano in the middle of the night or something that Amazing. you do. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, I'm someone may do. <laughs> it's great because, you know, not everybody is so confident, and it seems like through this it's a physical, mental, and emotional experience. Yeah, that's uh, that's the goal for them, and that's really where my where my my heart and my passion is right now. And I'm just like, when can we travel again? Yeah, because um, that's that's really it's so much transformation can occur in a week when you let go of your calendar and your to do list, and you just come to to be with others and with yourself. It's really really powerful. Definitely. What else would you like people to know about you? Yeah, on a yoga studio in Culver City, and we closed our physical doors two weeks ago when we got the directive from there, but we're now streaming yoga and meditation classes online. So if anyone is interested in joining a virtual, super supportive, really diverse community, um, our website is soulplay.yoga, and you can sign up for just a drop-in yoga class, or you can have unlimited streaming, and uh, and it's a really sweet community, and we do everything on Zoom, and we get to know everybody's name and, and get to share a little, so... Um, 
we take the anonymity out of the online fitness experience. That's amazing. You know, um, when you first started talking, you said that you um, you were living somewhere else, or were you living in Europe? Yes, I spent most of my uh, growing years in Europe. I was born in France, and I grew up in Israel, and I moved oh. to the U.S. Uh, when I was 21. Amazing. Do you miss it? Do you miss living there? I miss aspects of life in Israel, but I I love I love California. I love yeah. being here. My entire education was always at American institutions overseas, mm-hmm. so I had just been waiting to move to the states. And now that I'm here, the only thing I would change is the healthcare system. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. That, I love it. Yeah. No, it's um, great. It's it's really conducive for a healthy lifestyle. Yes, it is. You know, tell me where people can find out more about you. I'm kind of all over the place now. They can go to my uh, yoga studio website, uh, soulplay.yoga. I've got some links to my uh, my social media. My Instagram is nattasticyoga, Cute. N-A-T-T-A-S-T-I-C, yoga, nattastic. And, uh, or they can visit soultribeadventures.com. All right. And you said um, you're also offering uh, Zoom yo- uh, yoga right now, right? Soulplay.yoga is that website. <laughs> thank okay. you. I've got all the links. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for calling in. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, this is Gary Peel from the band Boston, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. On this next segment, I'm in conversation with Mandy Kaplan. She's the writer and producer of the hilarious film 30 Nights. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Janine. So, as I've told you before, your film, 30 Nights, is hysterical. And right now, I think everybody could use a little hysterical. A lot hysterical. I hope I hope it provides that for everybody. Yes. Now that before we get into the film, tell me what you're doing right now to take care of yourself so you're not going crazy in your house. Because I know, even for me, some days I'm like, this is a lot of togetherness. Ton of togetherness. <laughs> yes. I mean, I sing and dance every day, even if... My family doesn't like it. Uh, I'm just telling the truth. That's good. Um, I'm definitely, uh, I take daily walks, and on those walks, I listen to podcasts and audiobooks, and I create future ideas, and, you know, I'm I'm always scheming and planning creative things for when this is over. That's great. Yes. No, I hear you. I mean, it, it, it helps me stay sane when I have these different ideas, and I'm... I'm doing something and just a diversion. Yes. You know? Absolutely. So tell me how you got to where you are now. How you got into, was voiceover first, acting? I think it was acting first, correct? Yes. I was a musical theater major in college, and that was always my first love and my goal. And I was living in New York City, and I got a voiceover audition for a cartoon show, and I got the show. And that changed the trajectory of everything. That became how I made a living, knock wood a million times over. I love it so much. And that now voiceover is my bread and butter and musical theater and comedy and writing and acting are all things I get to do to feed my soul. That's great. Yeah. I feel like it's so important to feed your soul. That's a really good point. Absolutely. We all have to. You just have to find what it is and find a way to make it happen. I mean, sometimes people... Um, well, I know as we get older, we forget how to play. Uh, you know, life takes over. People might say, oh, I used to love playing guitar. Or I used to love doing this. Or, But it's it's okay to do those creative things when I mean, we need that. Mm-hmm. We 
Oh, I agree. I agree. I actually, uh, lately I've been thinking I need to play more guitar. I got to make time. So last night about 8.30, I went into this little room we have downstairs, shut the door, brought down my Fender amp, my guitar. And, you know, I thought, I'm not going to work on a song. I'm just going to play whatever comes to me. And, oh, it was so incredible just to, I was so relaxed, like the most relaxed I've been in a long time. You know? Yeah. So let's talk about your film. Did you write this with other people? I did. I co-wrote it with my co-star, Johnny Giacalone, and our director, Tom W. Metz. So the three of us really took equal parts in co-writing and co-producing, and then Tom was our director. When I watched this film, and I told you this, it's really rare to watch a film that you're laughing every few seconds. I mean, it, it's so funny. Thank you so much. I, I think so. And then, you know, from sitting around laughing at a table, writing it, to the time when someone sees it, it's such a long time. Mm -hmm. Riddled with the idea of, like, are we kidding ourselves? Is this funny? No. <laughs> but, but we got to see it with an audience at its premiere, and, and the laughter felt real and my mom wasn't even there laughing it was it was real people real audience and it Great. was thrilling so. did you did you write this face to face with your team or did you each go off and write segments both both definitely both yeah a lot of face to face time because we we became so close during the process and um and then a ton of okay i'll go home and take a crack at it and email it and we'll email copious rounds of notes it works really well tommy said in an interview which i loved that he called me a joke machine, which I take to be the highest praise. Uh, I'm great. all about the jokes. Johnny mm. is extremely good at structure and, you know, figuring out where the heart of the film is. And Tommy balanced those things and was able to call through them and find how to make it all work. So, Good good team. It, well, it is a good team. I have no heart or soul. I swear to you, all I do is jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but, it was, but it was so funny. I mean, there was... There were such surprising moments and then just hilarity, you know. He slugs her, she slugs him, and it was so funny. And and it's so rare, you know, when I'll get the screeners uh, through SAG, you know, sag After, and I don't see anything funny, and I need funny. We all, Everybody needs funny all the time. I agree. Especially in, in dark times. Right. You know? yeah, I feel so good about saying I promise distraction, I guarantee laughter. It won't, you know, cure the world's ills, but it will give you that. I can guarantee for 94 minutes you will be happily entertained. I'll say. <laughs> uh, where can people watch this? It's on Amazon, right? It's on Amazon Prime to stream and a site called Tubi, T-U-B-I, and it's available on DVD on Amazon and Target and Barnes & Noble. So it's thrilling to be able to say, you can get it anywhere now. Fantastic. So are you already in the process of writing your next comedy? Not directly. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the three of us haven't really, we have ideas, we have a couple of outlines, but we haven't really delved into it because we were waiting for this one to come out in the world, which happened only after the New Year. So, uh, But I, I'm producing, I, I have a cabaret in Los Angeles that I produce. Oh yeah, tell me about that. Um, it's called Miscast, Right Singer, Wrong Song, and... It's my baby. It's my pride and joy. And I, uh, every three months, I gather a new group of about 12 
incredible performers, and we sing songs for which we are the wrong race, gender, <laughs> age, type. It's all tongue-in-cheek, and it's all for charity every time. I've never made a dime off of it. It keeps me creative. It keeps me happily choreographing ridiculous numbers. And I love it. That's where a lot of my energy goes, my creative energy anyway. Are you going to do this via Zoom? Uh, we, we have not visited that idea yet. Okay. This is a live show I've done for 10 years. Yeah. And if people keep saying, do it on Zoom, do it on Zoom, it doesn't quite feel... That's true. It, it hasn't clicked for me yet how to make it my tone rather than just, oh, the cast of Dear Evan Hansen did it, so we'll do it. That's not what Miss Cast is. Miss Cast is so tongue-in-cheek and funny that I want to make sure it's still Miss Cast. Yes. If I do that. Yes. So, so my brand, not mm-hmm. we all got together and sang a song. Right. Have you always been a performer since you were little? Always. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Where, where does that confidence come from? I envy it. I didn't say I was confident. <laughs> I mean, I was that obnoxious kid after dinner, you know, when Grandma and Grandpa would be over, and I would say, okay, everybody, now I'm going to sing a song. I'm going to tap dance in the living room. I mean, I was mm-hmm. always performing. And it's not just, I don't think it comes from confidence. For me, it's like a burning need to perform and be creative. Yeah. And I just love it. And That's great. to be honest, it's a need for applause and approval. Yeah. I mean, I get it. We're like, you could just take classes. I'm like, I could, but nobody claps for me when I <laughs> right. So. right. Oh, that's so funny. Because I actually started taking voiceover. It was more of, yes, learning, learning the skills, but also trying to get out of my shell, mm-hmm. which I think is good. Can you talk about for people that, you know, they're older and they want to do something like this, like the benefits? I don't know that it applies to performing or the creative arts. I think it applies to anything. Right. Any new thing you take up that that feeds your soul, it could be golf or macrame or adopting a pet or whatever, volunteering. I love, I think volunteering is a key component of life. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, find it, do it to the, I think people think, oh, I don't have the time because I can't, I can't put on a show like Mandy does. I don't have the time for that. Right. But I found a way to do it that I do have time for. You know, we, re- we rehearse very little. I only ask people who can give just a few hours of their time. I only do it every three months because that's all I can do. Sure. So to take the pressure off of, if I'm going to take something up, I have to do it full tilt all the time. That pressure needs to go because even if you're doing something once a month or once a year, if you find a way to do it, and it can make you happy as you fall asleep thinking about it. That's the key. It's so fulfilling. Oh, it's just, it's the best. I, I mean, I've, I've told, I told my audiences at my first few shows, Miscast was born from my postpartum depression. Really? So, oh, I was beside myself with this beautiful, extraordinary child who I thought was uh, taking away the opportunity to perform. So I created my own opportunity, and I created my own show, but I couldn't certainly devote hours and hours and hours to it because I had a newborn at home, so I did it in a way that was possible. I think it's great. I I think of it as a lifesaver. Yeah. Well, you know, the name of my show is Get the Funk Out. Oh, yes, I know. So, you know, that's also why I was so intrigued to talk to you. Tasia uh, introduced us, Tasia Valenza, who I adore, and I thought... This is so inspiring to talk to you and all the different things you're doing. Thank you. Back at you. (laughs) Thanks. Any suggestions for people, because we're all home, 
to stay sane, you know, to be creative, to get out of their shell? Yeah, I mean, we're lucky we live in a day and age with technology. So you could film. I, I spoke to a friend. I'm not doing this. It's her idea, but they're filming a little online journal every day. Mm-hmm. They can look back at this time. I know my son said, I want to learn guitar. We were like, well, now is the best time. You bet. So instrument and go on YouTube. I think these things are widely available where they wouldn't have been 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Right. So, you know, any project you have that you've been putting off because you didn't have the time, now's the time. Start writing, start journaling, start writing poetry, writing songs, writing jokes, writing anything you can, you know. I feel like people a lot of times, just like me, like we have all these ideas and we're looking for that that break in our life. And, and as you said, now is the time. You know, you'll be so glad you did it. Oh, 100%. And to, and to stay connected to those around you. Collaborations right. will be born from this. People will start talking to their old college roommate and come up with a funny idea and write it together on Zoom. Right. You know, stay connected. Keep putting your ideas out there. I've been doing a lot of different things from, you know, voiceover to even I downloaded this um, comic book app that really fascinated me and because I, I love... I love quick jokes, and I love, you know, the quick buildup in a comic strip. And I was trying to apply it to the quarantine. Yeah. And the simplest thing, like, you know, a dog saying, oh, I don't get to go to the groomer, and it looks like a mop. And then, you know, the last frame is this poor dog has been chopped by their owner <laughs> who couldn't wait. And it looks like like a five-year-old cut cut its hair, you know. But just have been a five-year-old in this game, we don't know. What did you say? It could have been a five-year-old. Yes, it could have been a five-year-old, exactly. I mean, I know I'm guilty of cutting my own hair at four, and that's what it looked like, so. Yeah, my son, um, when he, you know, if he's like, oh, I don't want to finish my math, I'm like, finish it, or you're grounded. Don't get to go out and see your friends. You know, we're making our own fun here. I, I exactly. think it's funny every time he's a little over the joke. <laughs> we're all grounded. We are totally grounded. Yeah. I know. But as I mentioned at the beginning of my show, my heart really goes out to all the nurses and doctors and first responders and everybody because, wow, are they in the trenches. They're heroes. Right? Plain and simple. Absolute heroes. Yeah. Somebody said, forget about Emmys and Oscars and all that. Let's just have awards for those people because, wow. In that, and I love that idea. Right? CNN does that. CNN does hero awards. That's right. So they do. Well, that's what they should do. So where can people find out more about you? I have a website, MandyKaplan.com, and I'm on Instagram, Mandy underscore Kaplan underscore Clevens, my married name. Okay. And the movie is 30 underscore Nights underscore movie, and Miscast is Miscast LA, and I'm everywhere on Instagram and Facebook, and right now I'm just in my kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm in my home studio slash closet. So, yeah, I can relate. Well, I want to thank you so much for calling in. This has been fantastic, and congratulations on everything you're doing. Thank you so much. So great to connect with you. All right, that's a wrap for this week's show. If you want to follow me on Twitter, just visit moms, M-O-M-Z underscore rock. I'm also on Facebook at Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N. The show blog is getthefunkoutshow.kci.org. And if you'd like to find out about being a guest, just send me an email to Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, at kuci.org. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.